This episode of Every Town is being sponsored by our good friends over at the Deadbolt Mystery Society, who have an awesome monthly subscription box service that, if you guys are fans of true crime and unsolved mysteries, you really need to check out. If you've ever wanted to know what it feels like to solve crime and become totally immersed in a mystery, then you have to get in on the Deadbolt Mystery Society. The mysteries vary, so sometimes they'll have you hunting down a killer, and other times you'll be solving a kidnapping or cold case disappearance. The box I'm investigating right now is a crazy one called Behind the Wall, where the remains of a reporter were discovered inside the wall of a house, and the creepy part is she appears to have been sealed within the wall while she was still alive. One of the best things about these boxes is they encourage you to follow your instincts, and so there are times when you can check things like Facebook pages, phone numbers, and websites to gain insights. They have tons of reviews online from people that have joined, and 95% of them are five-star reviews. Go to deadboltmysterysociety.com today and use the code DEADBOLT20 to get 20% off any subscription or single box. Again, that's 20% off when you use the promo code DEADBOLT20. Come join the Deadbolt Mystery Society today. Five times the internet solved cold case crimes. We often celebrate whenever investigators solve seemingly difficult cases, but what happens to those that are never cracked? Luckily, we live in a day and age where an endless supply of information is at our fingertips and online crime detectives are taking it upon themselves to give investigators a hand. Here are five times the internet solved cold case crimes. Number 5. Web Sleuths Abraham Shakespeare After winning a $30 million lottery jackpot in Florida, Abraham Shakespeare knew his life was going to change dramatically, but he did not ever think that this massive win would cost him his life. Shakespeare chose to receive a $17 million one-time lump sum cash payment. Immediately, he moved out of his working-class neighborhood to a gated community where he purchased a $1 million home. Aside from the house, he made only two other major purchases, a Nissan Altima and a Rolex watch from a pawn shop. After news broke that he had won millions, Shakespeare had expressed frustration that many people expect him to give them money. He told his childhood friend, I thought all these people were my friends, but then I realized all they want is just money. One of these individuals was Doris D.D. Moore, Shakespeare's business partner. Moore had launched a business with Shakespeare and gave herself full control of the company's funds. Additionally, she withdrew $1 million of Shakespeare's money to pay for multiple luxury cars and vacation trips for herself. On November 9, 2009, Shakespeare's family reported him missing as they were worried that they had not seen him in person for months. At first, they thought he ran away to a beach by the Caribbean Sea to escape all those hounding him for cash. Moore claimed she helped Shakespeare leave for Jamaica, Texas, Puerto Rico, or Orlando, Florida. On another occasion, she said he was in the hospital, but things were not adding up for the family, and their suspicion of foul play grew stronger. An anonymous tip led investigators to Moore's backyard, and there they found Shakespeare's body buried nine feet deep under a newly constructed concrete slab. 
According to detectives, they believe Shakespeare died around April 6th or 7th, just around the time he was last seen by his family. After discovering the body, Moore changed the story of her version of events. She said that he was hunted by drug dealers, a lawyer, and her 14-year-old son. Authorities believe that after Shakespeare's disappearance, Moore kept using his cell phone to send messages to his friends and family pretending to be him. During this time, she tried to make it seem as though Shakespeare was well and alive, but his close friends were skeptical of the messages as he was illiterate. Investigators discovered that she attempted to pay someone $50,000 to take the blame for his death. What cracked the case, though, was the crime and investigation website WebSleuths. WebSleuths is an internet forum focused entirely on crime and missing persons. Registered users can examine information related to crimes and unsolved cases, which they try to solve. Due to the nature of the case, WebSleuths users took a keen interest and began digging up as much information as they could. Users discussed the possibility that Moore was the murderer. This prompted her to create a username on the site under an anonymous name to defend herself. When users discovered that it was Moore, she quickly contacted Trisha Griffith, co-owner of WebSleuths, and denied ever going on the site. Griffith replied, That's funny. The IP address in this email matches the number of your computer, and told the moderators to not monitor or edit anything Moore writes. Police were ecstatic to have Moore's comments on the forum, as Griffith believes she basically talked herself into being arrested. Moore was formally charged with first-degree murder on February 19, 2010. She is currently serving a life sentence without parole. Web Sleuths users can rest easy knowing their internet detective ways have helped police catch a killer. Number 4. Golden State Killer The Golden State Killer, coined by Michelle McNamara, is a name that can send shivers down everyone's spine. He was a serial killer that ran rampant in California throughout 1973 to 1986. For more than 30 years, the crimes he committed remained unsolved, but with the resilience of McNamara, the killer was actually finally captured. As a crime author, she spent a good portion of her life hunting murderers and unidentified rapists. Particularly, she was interested in the East Area Rapist, Original Night Stalker, and the Vesalia Ransacker. All three of these cases were known for their gruesome murders, sexual assaults, and burglaries. Largely due to McNamara's efforts, those three cases were linked by DNA and were later known to be the work of one person, the Golden State Killer. The Golden State Killer grew to infamy for committing at least 13 murders, more than 50 rapes, and over 100 burglaries. After many years of searching and reaching dead ends, Joseph D'Angelo was arranged in Sacramento on August 23, 2018. The reason he was arrested was largely due to a DNA match. A relative of the killer had submitted their DNA to a genealogy website, and it matched the DNA found at one of the Golden State Killer's crime scenes. When interrogated, D'Angelo confessed to the crime, stating it was Jerry, his inner personality, that forced him to commit the horrific acts. 
While it was a major breakthrough, McNamara had developed the profile that served as a map to finally apprehend the killer. She had told police that the murderer would have been affiliated with the military or the police. When questioned, D'Angelo admitted that he was a Navy veteran and former police officer who had been fired in 1979. With the use of the profile and DNA match, investigators were able to pin D'Angelo as the Golden State Killer. In her book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, McNamara revealed everything she knew based on her investigation on the Golden State Killer case. Investigators and crime sleuths maintain that she played a vital role in bringing the killer to justice. She spent many years visiting the crime scenes, interviewing victims, piecing together research from different cities and precincts, and bringing awareness to the case. McNamara succeeded in her goal of catching the killer posthumously. She died in her sleep on April 21, 2016, two years before D'Angelo was arrested and charged. Her husband, Patton Oswalt, explained that she did not care for fame or money. He said in an interview, she cared about the Golden State Killer being behind bars and the victims getting some relief. Number 3. Pod Hunters There are stacks of podcasts out there and finding one to tune into can be slightly difficult. So when Pod Hunters, a bi-weekly column, came out with their recommendations, people were relieved to have a selection of the most interesting and noteworthy podcasts to listen to. And one in particular, called the Bear Brook Podcast, helped solve that case 32 years later. The Bear Brook Murders is one of New Hampshire's most infamous murder cases. In 1985, near the Bear Brook State Park, a hunter found a discarded 55-barrel drum. Inside it were the bodies of two people, a woman and a young child. Then, 15 years later, another barrel was discovered just 100 yards from the original one, and inside that were two more bodies, both of children. Because they were so badly decomposed, the identity of the victims couldn't be determined, but the case was always ongoing to a certain extent due to its grisly nature. Becky Heath who had been following the case for several years, took it upon herself to search Ancestry.com to look into people looking for lost loved ones. Specifically, though, she was looking for any individual looking for a person whose identity and age range would match those of the Bear Brook victims. In 2017, a woman named Sarah McWaters posted to the site that she was looking for two family members and her half-sister who had disappeared in the late 1970s which caught Heath's attention. She did some digging and matched birth dates with those of the victims, but ultimately stopped the search as she didn't believe she could actually help solve the decades-long case. It wasn't until she heard the Bear Brook podcast, which went into great detail on the case, that she realized she really may have been onto something. That same year, and completely separate from Heath's investigation, Authorities were able to finally link DNA that confirmed who the killer was, and his name was Terence Rasmussen. Rasmussen had an extensive criminal record, and in 1981 he was connected to the disappearance of a woman and her daughter. Later in 2002, he was convicted of murdering his wife, and he died in prison eight years later. After his death, his daughter allowed forensic officials to solidify that he was, in fact, 
the Bear Brook murderer. With this new information coming out, Heath then reached back out to Sarah, where it was discovered that her mother had at one time been married to Rasmussen for a short time. Heath then immediately let authorities know. In 2019, three of the bodies were identified as a mother and her two daughters. They were of Marlies Elizabeth Honeychurch, who was the mother, and the daughters, Marie Vaughn and Sarah Lynn McWaters. They both had different biological fathers and were last seen in November of 1978. The fourth victim, however, remains unidentified, but it is confirmed that this person is the daughter of Rasmussen. The case never stopped, and through some thorough work and a seemingly simple podcast, now family can get some closure, and one of New Hampshire's most violent cases has finally been solved. Number 2. Linda Jane Hart It's heartwarming when people come together for the common good, and users on WebSleuths can attest to that. In 2011, the website's users were able to identify a skeleton from a case that was left unsolved for many years, and Carl Kopelman, a self-proclaimed internet detective, is credited for cracking the case. Kopelman wasn't always a detective. He worked as an accountant for Disney, but after losing his job, he found himself with a lot of spare time. By chance, he stumbled upon web sleuths and was hooked on solving the crimes listed on the site. He said, I read through the stories on web sleuths and thought it was just fascinating. You had average, everyday, normal people going on websites and solving crimes that the police have never been able to. His passion for investigating cold cases grew when he was promoted to moderator of the unidentified subforum. Here, people match unidentified bodies in coroner reports with missing person profiles. On that subform, he came across the case of a skeleton discovered in a vacant lot on March 9, 1988, in Missouri. Kopelman reports that the victim was a female, most likely between the ages of 20 and 29, was 5 feet 4 inches tall, and had brown curly hair. After looking through multiple missing person databases using the information he had, he hypothesized that the skeleton belonged to Linda Jane Hart. He wrote on the subform, Hart's age, 23, is within range. Her height, 5'3", is within an inch. She is from the same city and was last seen seven months prior to the discovery of the skeletal remains. She also has brown curly hair. He emailed his findings to Tom Hensley of the office of the Jackson County Medical Examiner. After going through Kopelman's research, Hensley found a match on the dental records. He proceeded to contact Hart's family to obtain DNA samples for a positive ID. While it took a few months, they confirmed that there was indeed a DNA match between Hart and the skeleton. The family was then notified on April 11, 2011. When asked why he does what he does, Kopelman replied that he finds relief after solving a cold case. The family stay in limbo for decades, literally decades, and they can never really move on with their lives until they get resolution. So yeah, I get emotional satisfaction if I can solve one of these cases. Number 1. The Doe Network Often, cases go unsolved for many years. 
Factors such as underdeveloped technology and lack of viable leads can slow down investigations. Even worse, some of the victims remain unidentified, causing investigators to hit dead ends. But sometimes, thanks to the work of online crime sleuths, cases are reopened and solved, giving closure to investigators and, more importantly, families. One of the main websites that works side by side with investigators is the Doe Network. This nonprofit organization has volunteers who help the police match missing person cases with John and Jane Doe cases. The website has a heap of cold cases and unidentified persons that users try to solve and identify. Since the launch of the Doe Network, more than 600 people have volunteered to review cases. But not just anyone can volunteer. Each member is selected after an evaluation of their application. The organization strives to create awareness for unsolved cases of unidentified and missing persons. They provide case files detailing the physical characteristics as well as the circumstances of the case. In total, the Doe Network has helped identify over 90 missing individuals and 36 of them were completed during the first five years of the organization's opening. Some of the resolved cases include Deanna Criswall, Dorothy Howard, and Samantha Bonnell. Some of these cases were unsolved for more than half a century. Family members or law enforcement recognize a description, image, or facial reconstruction on the organization's website, as was the case for Griswall and Bonnell. There is no time limit to solving a mystery. That's the mantra all volunteers of the Doe Network stand by. While many cases remain unsolved, the organization is certainly hoping to bring them to a close. So there were five times the internet solved cold case crimes. It's an exhausting job to reinvestigate cases that seem impossible, but there is certainly a sense of relief and closure when victims receive the justice they deserve. Please remember to subscribe to our channel if you liked watching this video. We have new ones coming out every Wednesday and Saturday for you guys to check out. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you soon.